Hello and welcome to MikeyPod Podcast episode 353 for October 31st, 2022. Happy Halloween. Today's guest is cat lover Martina Mayok. I mean, she's also a prolific Pulitzer Prize winning playwright who, that's a lot of P's in a row, prolific Pulitzer Prize winning playwright whose play, another P, Cost of Living, just happens to be on Broadway. But we're all here for the cat chat, right? I'm your host, Michael Heron. I'm a composer, pianist, electronic musician, storyteller and perhaps a bit dormant activist based in New York City. On this podcast, I have conversations with fellow creators who use their creativity to change the world. I've been sending this podcast to your ears for well over 17 years. If you like what you hear, subscribe using the colorful buttons in the sidebar and footer at MikeyPod.com or just search MikeyPod in your favorite podcast directory. If you'd like to know more about me, stop by my website at Michael Heron. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. <laughs> Twitter, Michael Heron, at Michael Heron, and all my other social media is turned off right now. We've I've gone on and on about that enough. So yeah, welcome to the show. I really want to get to the interview and some music that I have to share with you too. Really great music from future guests. Um, so I'm not doing my usual check-in. There's not really anything to report anyway. Um, so let's go right to the part where I thank my subscribers on Patreon for powering this podcast. I have a lot of plosives today. Uh, these are people who subscribe for $5 or more a month and get special perks like tons of free downloads of my music and zines and bonus podcasts. There are over 70 of them that you'll have immediate access to when you subscribe, including this week's bonus episode, which features an extended conversation with today's guest, Martina Mayok, where we will be talking about cats. We really are going to talk about cats in the uh, bonus podcast. Did you figure out that we're not only talking about cats <laughs> in our conversation on this podcast? Um, and in the bonus, we're going to be also talking about her surprising distaste for writing, which I was surprised to find out about, but also could really relate to. So um, that'll be up on Patreon in a couple of days, patreon.com slash Michael Heron. I'm very aware of my peas right now. Um, can I give a shout out to the pop filter that I'm using? Why does pop filter have a pea? Anyway, I have some music for you today. Also, you may remember from back in July of 2020, I talked to a brilliant composer by the name of Molly Joyce. Um, you can always go back and listen to that episode. Uh, her work focuses on disability as a creative source. She has a new album that came out just last week called Perspective, and she's going to be a guest on the podcast in a couple of weeks uh, to talk about the album. Um, but I want to share a track with you from it today. Um, she, The premise of this album is that she interviewed, I believe it was 47 different people um, about these various words on um, that are track, the names of the tracks on the album. And um, you'll hear their responses uh, to this track. It's called Connection. And um, she wove the responses together with her uh, original music. She's a really intriguing composer of new music. And ah, I love it. <laughs> so it felt like a great fit for today's show. And um, I just really want you to listen to this album. So uh, hopefully you're in a place where you could really just sit and listen to uh, the words you're about to hear, the music you're about to hear, um, and get ready for our conversation today with playwright Martina Mayok. This is Connection by Molly Joyce. What is connection for you? And the connections among people are impossible for you to understand because the shimmer distorts the interactions much like a shattered mirror, provides no coherent image, so you glean only pieces of scattered reflections. 
eye contact and more than just looking at someone's iris, but actually looking into their pupils when you speak to them. Connection with friends and family. Connection like we all right now. Talking to face to face. I live at this intersection of autism or neurodivergence and poetry. I've been trying to think about why these things feel so wedded to each other in particular ways. And I think connection is a big part of it. And I think it's also what scares people about both of them. The neurodivergent people in my life, they really cut through all the bullshit right away. And they want to talk about the real stuff. And it's so refreshing. I think honestly, coming after the pandemic, I, I feel so disconnected with so many things. I think I'm struggling to, to answer that question because I don't really know if I feel connected to much of anything right now. Having inside connections as well as like outside connections. Really feeling like you're safe and seen and heard and that you can just be your like complete full self. I think this idea of like being seen and and like understood. How is the world created for you? And if it's not created for you, what are you going to do with the support of family, friends, community, resources? What are you going to do to make that a more of a living reality for you? There is a level of trust when collaborating with another disabled person because of that sort of, you know, that experience of, you know, enduring ableism. If you struggling to live, connection is the slightest thing in your mind. You connecting to try to have stability. Connection is why I'm a storyteller. Uh, connection is the bridge. Connecting with my friends. To me includes both my literal physical dimension, but also the empty spaces that exist within me. And a component that includes both the emptiness that I carry and the, the more overt structure I carry. Joining me now on the podcast is Martina Mayok, who is a playwright, a Pulitzer Prize winner, all kinds of great stuff. And now the guest on Wikipod. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I feel like I'm behind the times. I saw Cost of Living this past weekend, kind of not knowing what I was going to see. Um, and I didn't know anything about your work. And now that I'm investigating it and very excited, I'm like, oh, this like. I'm behind. <laughs> so there's so much you've done, but because cost of living is what I've seen, I'd love to talk to you about it a little bit. And I read a little bit about your history. Um, so there's so much to discuss. Um, 
I think you were it? Yeah, I think you were seeing it. Also, isn't that the best? Like when you just don't, don't know anything about a show and you walk in. Yeah, I love it. And my sister is seeing it uh, next week, oh, maybe thanks. the week after, and she's doing the same thing. And she won't love let it. me mention. She won't let me say anything about it or anything about you. She's like, I don't know anything. I just want to go, <laughs> it's which is great. It's so rare too. Like that's the best. Yeah. So. For people who may who are listening who may not get the chance to see the play anytime soon because they're not in New York City, is there a uh, what am I trying to like an elevator pitch about what the show is? That sounds terrible, but you know. What oh I mean. no, gosh, yeah, I sound I'm so bad at these. Uh, so so like, let's see. It's a play about loneliness. It's a play about caregiving. It's a play about our interconnectedness. The plot of it, I guess, is that there's we're following two sets of two sets of couples. One of them is um, Eddie and Ani, and um, Eddie is an unemployed, recently unemployed truck driver, uh, and Ani is his estranged wife. And the two of them come back together when Ani uh, is in a car accident, which leaves her quadriplegic, and um, Eddie begins being her caregiver. And it's the we follow how they sort of come come back together in a way. And the other couple is John and Jess. And John is a PhD graduate student in political science at Princeton um, who has cerebral palsy. And he hires Jess, who is a first-generation immigrant who just graduated undergrad at Princeton and is dealing with um, a lot of financial instability uh, to be, he hires her to be his caregiver. And it's also, we follow how they're challenged by and also brought brought together by their differences. Um, and, uh, it's a little, it's a little sexy. It's a little, it's a little funny. It's a little ghosty. Uh, yeah, that was a really long. So we basically got to the 96th floor with that elevator pitch. That was a little too long. (laughs) No, but it was great because I feel like I, one of the things about talking to you on the podcast, I was thinking about, was like a lot of people won't, won't get to see the play. Like they, you know, people who listen all over the place. Um, so I'm glad that you, that we got to the 96th floor for that. that. (laughs) I really love work. And this is kind of what I do on the podcast is talk to people who use their work to as activism or as like raising social awareness and that type of thing. And the thing that can be really challenging with this, this type of thing, as I'm sure, you know, is trying to be inclusive or address some of the it even feels corny to say address the issues that you do with this play. It can come off as very like corny and forced and, um, you know, all of those things that, <laughs> that sort of undermine your message. Um, and you've done it. So not that you've, so you, you've done, <laughs> I was like, Oh my God. Thank God. <laughs> and this is a fine example of doing exactly that. <laughs> no, but I mean like what you've done it, you're telling a story and, all of these things happen to be a part of the story. Um, well, is it a challenge or was it a challenge for you to sort of get to a place and like some of those topics you wanted to cover, keep them from being cliched or. I mean, that's exactly what, what you're saying is like, they happen to be like the, there are two disabled characters played by two disabled actors in the cast. There also happen to be two first gen um, performers that, that are also first gen. One is an immigrant. One is a one is a first gen character in the, the play. And I, um, I tend to. I I'm an immigrant. I was born in Poland um, and um, uh, grew up. Also, when I when I came to America, I grew up in a largely multicultural immigrant neighborhood in in working class neighborhood in North Jersey. And um, I, when I first began writing plays, I was writing plays about my friends and family. 
um, will, you know, happen to not have much money and maybe worse English was their second language and all of these things that when I started writing uh, and sharing it with people from the outside, they were saying, oh, you were you writing about immigrants. Why are you writing about low income um, people? Uh, um, you're, you're writing about economic instability and how it relates to, to women, et cetera. And I was like, I guess that is true. Yes. But I was writing my friends and myself and my family once I was aware that this is how it's going to be seen as these are stories of people from the outside because they're, they're the inside for me. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is my experience, but for the American theater, they are stories of people from the outside or marginalized communities. And so I um, always want to make sure I'm being as authentic as possible to that experience while also inviting people in for whom that isn't their experience. Um, uh, so that somebody, somebody who I grew up with who would see my play wouldn't think I was pandering. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, yeah. It's like how we, it's like, that's our life. Yeah. But also somebody who's not from that will feel invited into a different, maybe a different experience that maybe they'll find is actually not that far off from their experience. It's just sort of a different, different form. So I, I never consider my plays issue plays, though they're a lot of the characters are dealing with um, obstacles that have been created by policy that is just inherent in their lives. I mean, the last play I wrote was uh, called Sanctuary City, and it's a, it was about um, a friendship between two undocumented teenagers. And so it's not a, it's not a play quote about immigration. Cause I don't know how to do that <laughs> more than I don't know. Like, how do you write a play about women? You know, it's such a, there's so many, there's so many various versions of those experiences. Um, um, so it was never like, um, I must write about this identity or this experience. It just is, it, it, or this, um, uh, I, yeah, identity really is, is more because the experience is part of it, but like the, the political is inherent in the personal for these characters um, and these, and these worlds. So, so hopefully, I mean, I, my, my politics might be pretty apparent, <laughs> which are like, don't be dicks to people and, <laughs> and yeah. people thrive equally as, as equally as possible. Uh, but it's never, I'm never trying to make a polemic. I'm not trying to make something that feels like it's eating your vegetables. <laughs> Just mm. I'm telling people, I'm telling stories of, the humans that I know and, and am uh, and trying to bring us kind of, kind of connect us, connect the people in the audience to the people on stage and um, make it an inviting experience. Not a, not a vegetable, not an eat your vegetables <laughs> experience. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. But you know, I think that like, it's, it's the, um, it, it, when we include stories or tell stories about more different types of people, that's, just what happens, right? It, it, in a way, it sounds like, I mean, you're writing from your experience, but also make an effort to include people who don't always, or very rarely show up on mm-hmm. on a stage just by telling the stories. It seems like you're, you're, you're hitting it, right? Like, well, in this particular instance, I think, especially with, um, I, you know, I'm not disabled. I was a caregiver for, I worked as a caregiver for about two years. Um, so, so I pulled from that experience when I was writing the play, um, as well as just, um, you know, people that I, they, they, a lot of the characters are composites of people that I know. Um, but there, I had written in the play, the, the notes of the play, please, please cast disabled actors. And um, I didn't realize what a big deal that actually would be because there, I didn't experience this with the, with the productions in New York and the productions that I was involved with, but there have been theaters 
that um, reached out after the play was published and it goes around for um, regionally with, you know, sort of with, without me at that point, um, theaters would reach out and ask me, do I really mean it? Do wow. I, uh, and I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> um, do you need help finding, finding um, actors? Here's a list. Um, here's a list of other theater community, theater communities and companies that, um, are devoted to, to, um, telling disabled stories like family and Jeff West and TBTV. Um, and some of those theaters did reach out and some just kind of, it was crickets. Like they had no intention actually of changing the way that they, a lot of, a lot of people have typically cast disabled roles, which is, um, not with non-disabled actors, uh, so it's like, uh, I guess that itself is a political act. Um, it's, it shouldn't be, it seems it doesn't, it seems like it's so obvious. Why would you not want to cast disabled actors to portray disabled characters? But it, um, it's been sort of surprising to me how, how, um, the response sometimes it's, I, I, it's, it's like, uh, there shouldn't be a response, I guess, in my, in my, in my thinking, like, oh, sure. Just cast disabled actors. Um, but there, that isn't always the the way that it's gone. I, I can't remember where I read this. It was, it was an interview with the woman who plays, uh, Ani. Oh, Katie um, Sullivan. Yeah. yeah. And she, she was observing. I can't remember. She said she heard it or the, the people surprised that she was disabled, that they, yeah. that she wasn't an actor who was yeah, yeah. like, they're like, Oh, uh, someone said something like, Oh, it must've been really hard for her to sit in that yes. chair with her legs tucked underneath. Yes. Like it was just, outside of the realm of possibility that yeah. that could possibly be a disabled actor. It's yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. And there's also, this is, um, the other, the other disabled actor in the cast, Greg Mazgala, um, has cerebral palsy playing character who has more, who has more intense cerebral palsy than he has. Um, so he doesn't require, the actor doesn't require a wheelchair. Then they come out on stage. People don't think that he's disabled. He's, he's heard some really interesting, interesting and horrible things. Somebody, somebody came up to him, after the after a show when we did the show off broadway and because he doesn't use a, a a wheelchair um people might not like you can he's you know he says this he says this openly so i i i will share it but he's like you can you can you can tell when he walks like that he is disabled um but because he's in a wheelchair and it's like not his his disability is not as pronounced as um as the characters people somebody at one point came up to him and after the show and was like, Oh my God, thank God you're not actually disabled. And like, how horrible is that to hear? Like, Oh, thank God. Thank God. He's like, actually, I actually am. <laughs> but, um, but <laughs> the judgment of like, Oh God, thank God. Thank God. Um, when that's his lived experience. So it's been, it's really interesting. It's yeah. And then people who are, who I've heard say like, Oh, they're not, Oh, but they, they're not actually disabled or what, uh, or have been, or, or, or quote unquote are playing playing um yeah there's such a rarity of seeing those actors on stage i guess that 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 is uh that's been the response <laughs> hopefully some of those people that ask these questions or make these incorrect observations were able to, to take something away from <laughs> having said something like that uh, we can only hope i guess we're all learning we're all learning i guess <laughs> yeah and that's totally true like about a lot of things um uh, it it makes me think of times in the past that I look back now I've learned just about various, you know, things, um, the moments that I just look back, like, Oh, 
I wish I could like find that person again that I said that yeah. microaggression to like five yeah. years ago. Like I didn't, you know, when you learn like, oh my God, I said that yeah. to someone. Yeah. I, mean, I guess it's a lot of times it's actually, it's an act of trying to connect. Like that person was probably trying to connect with the, with Greg, the actor, um, and didn't realize that, that that's maybe, a, that may be a hurt, hurtful thing to hear. Um, and uh, Greg and other actors I've talked to t- would mention that there's, um, you gotta, ha- there's this reliance of humor to, to um, there's, there, there's a, there's a need to use humor to kind of make other people comfortable. Um, I do the same thing in the play. Like there's, I, I've, I've learned with my plays, I need to make the audience laugh within the, I used to say within the first minute. And now I think it's like the first 30 seconds, maybe 15 seconds mm. so that they know it's so I want them to laugh. It's okay to laugh. I want to invite them into this, this, the experience and the story. And, um, they might they might be tense because of the subject matter, um, not just for this play, but my other my other plays as well. Yeah, I was that was one of the things that I really appreciate. And there's some like dark, <laughs> <laughs> like uh, humor in the play, which I always appreciate. But um, I can feel that too as a as a point, especially when they're disabled characters. I'm sure that if you don't really set it up in the beginning of the play, like this is a thing we're gonna laugh today too, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's every, I mean, the other, like, Ironbound is about a, a woman in, like, incredible, like, financial instability and a lot of domestic violence and, the, like, talks of domestic violence. And there's, there's like, there's heavy things in the play. And I think um, if you don't let them, let the audience know early that, like, it's, it's okay, then then there feels like there's a, there's a feeling of like, Oh, we're not allowed to, we're not allowed to laugh at this. And it's not, you never, the audience should never feel like they're laughing at a character usually I have noticed that, uh, that like the, the more marginalized character in whatever scene will tend to tend to lead the humor. Like they'll be the ones that are in charge of the jokes. And so you're laughing with them. They are the ones they have the agency over the humor. And so you're never laughing at that character. And hopefully that lets everybody, you know, feel more, feel more comfortable. And like, we're all here together in our, in our awkwardness, in our shared tension and with respect. Uh, I hadn't noticed that, but now that I'm thinking back to the play, I'm like, oh yeah, that is that is how that was handled. There was a scene that I especially loved. Um, Jess is helping John take a shower. Mm. It connected a lovely memory with my mom when she was sick and passed away. Mm. Um, that I was helping take care of her, and it was that scene. It was so beautiful, and it really captures that like sort of intimate exchange of care, like of caring for, for someone else. Um, was that I, I'm a silly question, I think. <laughs> How much did you draw on your experience as a caregiver uh, for that scene? And was it important to you to sort of portray that? Yeah, and thank you for the kind, for the kind words. Yeah, thank you. I, I, so the, the job that I, one of the jobs I, I had was working for a man with cerebral palsy. Um, I was, I worked with two men and, um, that was, that was how I showered him. That was like how I prepared him for the day. And so I, I wrote it into the script really specifically. Um, and then when we, fr- when we did the first production, I just showed them what I did. I, I worked with, with it was always, Greg was, uh, was always in that role from the, from the moment we had a first production till, till now on Broadway. And I just showed them like how I how I maneuvered. I wanted to show how natural it is 
like how connected those two bodies are. Like it's almost a dance that they're that they're doing of um they've at that point in the play they've been working together for i think three or a few months but at that point so they've established a kind of rhythm with each other with their bodies um such that they can have conversations you know flu pretty fluidly um and um and i wanted to i think it's just beautiful i watched that scene and i'm like it's a scene of, of somebody caring for another person's another for another another person and it's also just so routine um and um such a so natural so i wanted to and i also wanted to show how much work it is mm -hmm. um like this it's such a physical it's also such a physical job that this other person is doing but that and, and that like um that that really both of them are doing because they're they're kind of working in tandem as much as they as they as they can um so I wanted it to invite an audience into what that is. I wanted them to see it all. I didn't want to just open, you know, lights up and you see, um, uh, he's already in the shower chair, or whatever. But like, I wanted them, I wanted everyone to see that full act. And so throughout the whole scene, he's showered. Um, he's brought into the shower, he's showered. He's brought back into his wheelchair. He's, he's, um, dressed, his hair is done and he's like ready for the day and the whole scene goes. So I was like, yeah, I wanted to show show people that's what the work is. I didn't realize that that was part of what I loved so much about that scene, but the the feeling that they had been doing this and they just had this, this dance. Um, it was a great scene. Yeah. <laughs> there was a clip that I saw today that talks where you're talking about, and it's very short, like it doesn't tell the whole story. I'm so curious about more of this. Um, where you your agent was telling you that you won the Pulitzer. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I mean, I partly love this type of story because it it wasn't something until I moved to New York and and I met people who had been on Broadway or who had like success um, in the theater. And then next a month later, they're like, "Okay, I'm back on unemployment now because right, I don't right. have a job." I didn't really realize that. So it's really this story. Um, it's important to me for that kind of way. So <laughs> whatever part of that you feel like. Oh, telling. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually love the story too. Cause I'm like, this is, it's just so exactly what you're saying. You're like, yep. And one day I'm Broadway and the next, like, like we open, yeah, we, we open the show and the next day I'm like, gotta do my laundry and my Ikea bags, take it downstairs. <laughs> like, it was like yeah. very, these like sharp contrasts of, of what your life is. Like, you know, one day you're at this, at this glitzy opening and then you're like, gotta do my laundry in the basement. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, for the day of the, the day, I was, um, I was supposed to be at jury duty that day um i it was like flash floods i went down downtown i live i was all the way all the way uptown so i went downtown i wasn't chosen like thank god i came back to my apartment and i was about to start doing my taxes but because they would do the next day so like great like it's very very <laughs> late like so i went so i was opening up TurboTax, like ready to go and i get a call around three o'clock from my agent um who's screaming at me that i won the pulitzer and i was so mad at him because I thought he was fucking with me. I thought he was lying to me. Uh -huh. um, and uh, uh, it was nine minutes and 48 seconds of me being like, how dare you? Um, it was also April. So I was like, oh, it's just like a delayed April Fool's joke. Like how cool. Yeah. And um, he's just laughing at me for almost 10 minutes and was like, well, why don't you why don't you hang up? And I think you will find that you actually indeed have won the poll. <laughs> the thing is like, why was the phone? Why was 10 minutes? Was I was trying to Google it, but apparently I didn't know this. Like apparently it's a live stream announcement that, that goes out. So it was recorded. So there was no like 
there was no language on the internet, which means it's not real, that like the, the, I had won the Pulitzer. So I was like, I was going to watch this video. Um, so I hung up and I saw that um, I had 20, 20 texts, like 12 or 20 texts. And the first one was from Stephen Anagirgis being saying congratulations. And I was like, oh, well, I guess it's true. <laughs> and I called my agent back to apologize. Uh. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure he appreciated <laughs> still that the whole He's thing. Just laughing at me the whole time. Yeah. Well, you know, we should wrap up this part of our conversation. Okay. Um, sad to say, um, for those of you who are listening and would like to hear more, there'll be a little bonus podcast conversation where we might be talking about cats. Cats, I don't know if, best, best content. Yeah. <laughs> all cats all the time. All cats all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so thanks for joining me on this podcast. Thank you for having me. And um, you. your your website is martinamayoke.com. Mm-hmm. Um, anywhere else I should tell people to go to learn more about your work or... I'm on, I'm on all the socials. I, I don't really use Twitter that much, but I'm on, I'm on, uh, it's all my, all my name, M-A-R-T-Y-N-A-M-A-J-O-K. Um, Instagram I've been using more, most lately, but yeah. 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 Cool. All right. Thanks for talking to me today. Thank you.
That was the title track from Sophia Sabaya Vostek's In Our Softening. Uh, Sophia is going to be on the podcast soon. I'm very excited for this conversation as well. Uh, that piano has a history and it inspired the album, the, the piano that that was recorded. Ah, that piece, come on. So I'm excited about so many things that are coming up. I'm excited about this thing that just happened, this interview with uh, Martina Mayuk. A lot of things, a lot of things. Thanks so much for listening. If you're a patron, uh, stop by patreon.com slash Michael Heron in a couple of days, and there will be an extended cat conversation <laughs> with Martina. And uh, if you're not yet a patron, feel free to go on over there and sign up for five bucks. You get access to all that cool stuff I talked about in the beginning of the show. Um, I'm really grateful to you for listening. Tell a friend. I've taken quite a pause from social media right now and <laughs> whatever with the new owner of Twitter. Maybe I'll be leaving there too. I don't know. I'm just on a personal level, I'm much happier not being as engaged on social media as I used to be. And that is the end of this podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And uh, let me hear from you, please. I'd love to hear from you. I hope you enjoyed the interview. See you next time.